Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Bio Audio Podcast. And today I am really pleased with the person who's helping me out. She is actually a former student in my class. She was really enthusiastic about the topic of evolutionary biology. And so I thought she might like to help me create some content for the next group of students to take the classes. So I'm extremely pleased today to have a former student helping me out. And why don't you introduce yourself for the rest of us? I'm Gazelle Hushier. I'm a third year biomedical student at York University. You just completed my senior course on the processes of evolution. I want to talk about some of the types of selection that we talked about in class and some examples of these. And in a previous episode of this podcast, I have talked to someone about natural selection and artificial selection. But within that broad category of natural selection, there's actually some very specific processes that alter the outcome of selection. What is evolution in the broadest sense? What did I make you all say over and over again? After a complete course with you, I definitely can answer this question. So you made us repeat it all over again, and it's a change in allele frequencies over time. You'll never forget that. I've made you say it so often. So a change in allele frequencies over time. Yeah. What does that mean? It means that selection or drift at the level of an individual, whether it survives and reproduces, will influence which alleles are inherited by the next generation. So what gets passed to the offspring? If some alleles increase in frequency and the other ones decreases, regardless of why, we can say that evolution has occurred. This may be because of selection, preferential inheritance of a trait that promotes survival or reproduction, but it may also be due to the drift, which is a random process. Anything that alters the alien frequency is evolution. Okay, so it doesn't have to be selection in favor or anything in particular, I think we can agree that it could also be just random changes in allele frequencies. So let's take one of those. What's natural selection? We forget about drift for now. What's natural selection? Under optimal conditions, a population can indefinitely grow and increase in size. If you remove predation, parasite, limitations of food, of course, this is not going to be the case all the time. And most animals could like produce far more offspring in their lifetime to replace them. But this doesn't actually happen all the time. So we don't get infinite populations. Not all animals survive to breed. And those that do breed have more or less offspring than the others. Um, we also know individuals within a population have natural variation with just about anything. They have different genes, different size, different colors, different physiology. Some of them are able to run faster or jump better. We can call these traits individual characteristics. So these affect either your survival or your ability to reproduce. You may have more offspring or offspring may survive better or you will live longer. So you have more opportunities to breathe. So if you're a little faster than others in your population, you tend not to be eaten by the things that chasing you. So you're going to have more offspring and those offspring are going to be faster because of you, because some of these traits are heritable. This leads to an increased relative survival of certain lineages. And these are the ones that we most likely um, see them to survive. And they're going to pass some of these traits also to their offspring, as you did. And those that do not have these traits may die out. 
In a modern genetic context, we can say there is inherited variation. So there is competition among individuals for survival and reproduction, and that natural selection is a process whereby genetically inherited characteristics become more or less common in a population as a function of the differential reproductive success of the individuals who have these characteristics. So it is important to remember that natural selection acts on individuals, but the consequences are measured at the level of population or species level. Natural selection acts on phenotype, which is very important, but it impacts alleles. And natural selection is not a force or a thing that can look ahead, but something that does really well today may have terrible fitness if the environment changes. So selection is only a measure of how fit current individuals are in the current conditions. So it is really not progressive or leading to perfection. It is not looking ahead. And crucially, it is the form of selection that leads to adaptive changes. I like that, the idea that it's really just a reaction to what's happening now. We have different individuals. They are variable in some particular trait. Some of them will survive better to the point where they can reproduce or have more offspring at that point, and they will theoretically inherit that trait and pass it along. It's important what we're going to talk about next to realize that these things can go back and forth. They can be reversed because the environment changes and a trait that was adapted yesterday may not be particularly fit tomorrow. And so these things can actually fluctuate back and forth in whether a trait is or is not adaptive. You're quite correct that natural selection is leading to adaptive change. How does this contrast this adaptive change to something like artificial selection? The real difference between artificial selection and natural selection is that when we talk about artificial selection, it is really us who decide who gets to reproduce. So we might pick our favorite cow that produces the most milk and preferentially breed her to hope that her offsprings are also good at milk producing. The environment has been replaced by us as the mechanism of selection and this is also same as what happened for plants. If we take the seeds from the best fruit in order to grow the next crop in hope that they will have the same traits. This is not really adaptive and the next generation is better suited to what we want, but not really to the actual survival in their environment. This is a sort of evolution that is not adaptive in that sense and it is not similar to natural selection. But it is a form of evolution because we are fundamentally changing the structure or frequency of certain alleles. Then how does this differ from something like sexual selection? There's a whole episode of the podcast on sexual selection, but give us the contrast here. So sexual selection, like natural selection or artificial selection, you're looking at a type of selection. In the case of the sexual sexual selection, it is really totally different from natural selection and artificial selection. So this is how we see the accumulation of traits that seem to actually reduce the potential of survival. Bright colors on a bird that makes it really easy to see by a predator, it's hard to explain how that bright color is actually promote survival. But when we talk about evolutionary fitness, there are two parts, survival and reproduction. 
And in the case of the sexual selection, it is the second part, reproduction, that we are talking about, and it is maximized. Generally, these are the traits where one sex prefers them in the other one. So a female looking for bright colors, and as a result, males evolve those bright colors because this maximizes their potential for breeding. If it is actually made short in their lives, but they will do it for better reproduction. So it can ground counter to natural selection. So you might actually sacrifice lifespan to maximize the chance of producing offspring. And, and I know that students often forget evolution is not just one thing. It's really a mixture of survival and reproduction. You can be the best adapted for survival, but if you don't have any offspring, you haven't contributed to a change in that population over time. And in this case, sexual selection is mostly looking at the reproduction output of offspring. So let's go back to natural selection then, what we really want to talk about. We've contrasted it to the two other really big forms of selection. But within natural selection, there are different ways this can occur. And the simplest one that most people think about is what we would really call directional selection. What does this mean? Let's consider a particular trait. Maybe it's height in an animal that is trying to reach the high parts of a tree in order to feed. So you have natural variation where some individuals are taller and some others are shorter. If we plotted height, we'd have a nice normal curve with some very tall and some very short and some of them in the middle. So in directional selection, there is no advantage to being short since the animals cannot reach their really good leaves at the top of the tree. So they may not survive well, and they're not as fit overall. But the tallest individuals get to the good resources. They can get the best leaf. So over time, the shorter individuals are lost, and the average height gets taller and taller. And the phenotype of the population moves in one direction towards the gradually taller individuals in order for individuals to be much taller in order to feed better. Movement in a population's trait towards one of the extremes of that trait, tall animal example, you're losing the shorter ones from the population over generations and the average height might move up because it's the tallest individuals who are able to access the resources and therefore probably survive better and reproduce better. Quite similar to this is what we call stabilizing selection. How is this similar and how is it different? So stabilizing selection is similar, but in this case being extreme on either size is poorly adapted. So you don't want to be very short or very tall. Maybe the best leaves are actually in the middle of the tree and all tall individuals have a very, very hard time reaching down. And at the same time, the short individuals can get high enough to reach the food. So you actually have preferentially survival of the average individuals. So you lose from both ends of the extreme. The birth weight in many mammals is actually like this. Being extremely small or extremely large at birth actually present complications. So again, the sort of 
example of the height in the animal. In this case, if the leaves are better in the middle, then there's actually preferential survival and reproduction of individuals who are of an average height and the extremes are bad. And in nature, animals that are really, really tiny may not be able to survive the winter. Animals who are really, really large may not be able to escape predators um, and hide efficiently. So there's often cases where the extremes are bad and we actually see a reduction in variation until there's a more average phenotype that's more common. Slightly more complex, what is diversifying selection? Diversifying selection is almost the reverse. Average in this case is not fit anymore, but extremes are favored. So for example, consider a species of birds that cracks open seeds. Some individuals with really, really large beaks can easily crack open really big seeds. Individuals with thin and small beaks, on the other hand, can't handle the big seeds, but they're very, very good with tiny, very abundant seeds. So individuals in the middle are actually not very good at either of these. So they aren't quite as strong enough for the big seeds, and they're not very good at manipulating the tiny seeds. There is a selection for one or the other phenotype and not some middle ground. Taken to an extreme, you can sort of see how this might lead to speciation. Because if the two groups of birds start to preferentially breed to maximize one or the other trait, they could diverge until they are actually no longer interbreeding at all. So they totally become different. Hybrid would not be fit for their medium beaks. So there might be a strong selection to maintain reproductive preferences and maximize two different forms. My favorite in this list is actually frequency dependent selection. And it's one of the more complicated ones to wrap your head around, but it's also the one that I personally have the biggest interest in. So first you tell us what it is and then I'm going to tell you a story about it. Frequency dependence selection, I love this one too. And this is where being rare is actually good. And no matter what is that trait, but when you're rare, you're good. So as one trait becomes more common, the other version of the trait becomes more fit because it becomes more rare. It increases in frequency until it's the common one. And now the first trait, which is now rare, since it is rare, it is most sweet. So now I think I know your story. You give the example. Okay, there's a reason I really like this example. This is a part of my personal history. When I was young, I wasn't entirely sure I wanted to be a scientist. It wasn't really on my list of potential careers. But I was listening to the radio and I heard this story and I thought it was so amazing that this single case that I thought was an astonishing little bit of nature made me totally consider pursuing science as a career. And the story goes like this. There are populations of crickets. The males sing to attract females and the males like to get together in a big clump and sing really loudly and the females come in to find mates. But that singing also attracts this parasite that attacks the crickets. And so the louder you sing, you might get the potential of a good mate, but you also might get attacked by the parasite. Sometimes in the population, a male is born who can't sing. Very rare, totally quiet. You go and you hang out with the cluster of singing males. You can get a mate and reproduce, 
but you probably won't attract these parasites. And so there's these rare males and they do really well. They're really, really fit because they survive, they're not parasitized and they get the mates, but then they spread their genes and suddenly the population starts to get quiet. Lots and lots of quiet males because the quiet males have done really well. At some point, there's so many quiet males, they now can't attract many females because the females are listening for the song of the cricket. So if you've got a population of all silent males, they're not getting parasitized very much, but they're also not reproducing very well. Now an individual who moves in who can sing does exceptionally well. They may get parasitized, but they will get the females. And so suddenly being the singing cricket is rare and the singing cricket gets the females. It then spreads its genes around and the population switches back to being a singing population. The singing males are getting the mates in, they're getting parasitized. Now selection favors the quiet male. And so they've actually seen in these populations that the alleles for making noise will increase to a certain point and then they're not fit. And now the alleles for being quiet increase in their frequency until there's too many quiet males, then they're not fit. And so it's always good to be the one that's unusual in that population. And I was so fascinated by this story that you could actually have the characteristics of this population flip back and forth like an oscillating wave up and down. And fitness is then determined by the relative frequency of alleles. It is frequency dependent selection. I thought this was amazing that it, I'd always thought of evolution as sort of directional towards the maximizing of certain traits. In this case, it was reversing back and forth. And I thought it was such an amazing story that it actually got me interested in studying evolutionary biology. And I love that the story when you explained it to, to us in the class, it was very, very interesting. And I came home explaining it to my little sister and I was like, this is really interesting. You have to listen to me. And it was really good. I'm also curious about you. So you took my class, third year evolutionary biology, but you're a biomed student. So when you picked biology, why did you pick your program? And what is it you're thinking of doing when you finish? So I grew up in a house that people were almost always talking about science. My father is a doctor. He was reading new researches to me every night at bed. But as I grew up, I was like, added to my passion for science and especially like biology. And um, that's why I came to biomedical science major. Right now I have huge plans for future. Let's see what comes to me. But yeah, I want to be a neurosurgeon in future. I love the idea of evolution. So I come from a background in Iran. We usually don't talk about evolution because of our religion, but I was never a religious person. So I always loved the idea of evolution. That's why I took this course. It was an elective and I want to say like, I loved it. I always think in university, that's the one chance you get to explore things that are different, try stuff sometimes in life. So I'm glad you elected to take it because you ended up doing so well. And I should point out, I just refer to you as the question girl, because in class, you were almost always three slides ahead asking me a question. And my general answer is, just wait, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. So you were the best at anticipating what the next topic would be, I think, of anybody I've had in a course so far. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Professor. I actually loved it. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Bio Audio Podcast. 
the BioAudio project was started to provide a free alternative to textbooks for students and educators, to provide a more inclusive resource and one we can add new topics to at any time and modify. If you are a student and you have enjoyed this episode, send me a note on Twitter at doctor underscore bat underscore girl or on Mastodon at Professor Batgirl at ecoevo.social and follow me to hear when new episodes are posted. If you are a university educator and would like to use the content, please feel free and let me know you're making use of it. Ask your students to follow the podcast. If you would like to suggest a new episode, and better yet, help me make it, send a message on Twitter, Mastodon, or to bioaudio1 at gmail.com. I'm happy to make new content to fit other courses, and I'll prioritize a topic if you can help me record it. <laughs>